Hey everyone, welcome to another mini episode of what I'm calling Phil Goes to Camp. I am the titular Phil, and the titular camp is Camp Crystal Lake, home turf of one Jason Voorhees. If you're new here, I'm watching the Friday the 13th series of movies for the first time in my life, and just commenting on them here. Also, if you're new here, Austin and I have 110 or so episodes of in-depth movie reviews of other regular movies, so uh, please go check those out. This time, I'm covering the fourth installment in the series, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. That's right, it's a subtitle. The series is consistently inconsistent on how they title their movies, with part two being a regular number two, part three being Roman numerals, and this one ditching the numbering convention altogether to tack on a subtitle that we all know is a lie. And I do want to say that even at the time this movie came out, I think we all knew it was a lie. I was a bright-eyed nine-year-old boy, a real Tommy Jarvis, if you will. And I was vaguely aware of movies, even those that I was not allowed to see, like the Friday the 13th movies. But I think we all kind of had a sense of something this repetitive and this cash-grabby was not going to actually just end on its own terms. Uh, this was a, a series that I think by this time we already knew this was going to go on forever. So people were rolling their eyes at the idea of the final chapter. Um, so it is it is sort of bold for the movie to put that forward right at the beginning. And I want to say as a whole, so far, uh, these movies have explained uh, almost nothing outside of just showing people being murdered left and right. Uh, from the get-go, uh, questions like, how did Jason uh, stay alive uh, to jump out of the lake at the end of part one? And how did Jason grow into a full-grown man between parts one and two? And if Jason grabbed the final girl at the end of two, how did she end up alive and her boyfriend end up dead? All these questions go unanswered. Uh, and the final chapter is no exception to that. There is no explanation in this one as to how Jason is able to resurrect himself in the morgue after he took an axe to the head, to the head, at the end of part three. Uh, he rises from the dead to kill a, a coroner working in the morgue who is uh, a real creep. So I can only assume Jason is some sort of avenging force, a pre-Me Too uh, sort of feminist who is being called to rise to eliminate sex pests, but the the flaw being that um, after that's done, he's just on a murderous, aimless rampage and just, just kills everybody. Uh, that, that's, that's the logic I'm going with. The, the movie franchise is providing me no logic. I'm going to insert my own. Uh, so, so right there, that's what I'm doing. Overall, I have to say this movie was a rise in quality from part three. It's, um, it's the same plot. It's Jason killing teenagers who party too much. But I think there's a few factors in this one that give it a little bit of a lift from part three. I was more entertained as a whole because of these things. 
Um, first off, there's some star power in this one. This movie stars Corey Feldman. He is Tommy. And Crispin Glover. Crispin fucking Glover is in this movie just a year before he's in Back to the Future. Um, and, and it, you know, is sort of one of the biggest movies in the world. Crispin Glover, uh, he stars in this movie as, um, I think it's Jim. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't know hardly any characters names in these movies because they just don't matter. Most of the kids are, they're just there to be murdered who they are, what they want, uh, where they come from. None of it really matters. Um, or plays into the plot at all. Um, but Crispin Glover in this movie is giving a performance that I, it's, it's slightly unhinged as you'd expect from Crispin Glover, even way back then. Um, but he's not phoning it in at all. I can only assume he understands what this movie is and how silly it is. And it doesn't matter. He's not phoning it in. He is a professional. He's delivering. He has terrible dialogue. And he delivers it in a way that sells it. He shouldn't be able to sell this dialogue. But he does it. Uh, and he dances in... Uh, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Just look up Crispin Glover dancing in this movie. It is... It is insane. And in the best way. It, it's so entertaining. Crispin Glover is is magnetic in this movie. I, I absolutely... Loved him in this role. Uh, Feldman plays Tommy Jarvis, like I said. And he's the rare character where I do remember his name. Uh, because they actually try to do something with that character. They try to develop him. They try to make him into somebody that you're rooting for, that you care about. You get a backstory. He makes masks and uh, special effects and monster makeups. And, and you think that's going to be a Chekhov's gun kind of thing. And it almost is. My big drawback is that he didn't just have a mask that looked like Jason. I don't know. Uh, the end works, but that could have played him more. Anyway, uh, I know because these movies are four decades old. I know Tommy plays a bigger role in future movies and in the franchise. So... I think they had plans for that, and that's why they focused on making him good. But I think also Feldman, whatever weird jaunt he's on now, uh, doing uh, music uh, tours, whatever he does now, um, uh, regardless of that, he was a very talented child actor. And I think this is one of those movies that low budget as it is and is probably like kind of right at where his career was starting to to break and he was getting bigger roles. I think he was in the Goonies when they made the next movie, which is why he wasn't in that one. And I think Corey Feldman is really, really good in this um, as, as Tommy. And I think Tommy is an actually interesting character. Uh, they took time and effort on him and they made him seem like a real person and, and not just a, uh, not a victim and not just a nameless townsperson and not just a final girl. He, he, uh, you know, his sister is the final girl, but Tommy is, is right there as a compliment to that. Uh, anyway, I, I liked both of these performances. It's a low bar, but these are by far the best performances in the entire franchise so far. 
Uh, the next thing that puts it on a higher plane for me is that they tried to put a slight B-plot in there. I guess there's a, a small B-plot in part three that I hadn't considered with the the biker gang. Um, but that really is, there's not much to that. They're just lining up to be more victims. As is this guy. Uh, his name is Ron or Rob or Rod. I'm not sure. Um, he's in this movie and he's introduced as, oh, I'm, uh, backpacking through the woods and hunting bear, but he's really hunting Jason, uh, because Jason killed his sister. I think it isn't much. There isn't much to it. Um, but the, it shows this movie is trying to have more depth is trying to, uh, have more going on and having a B plot. And it's, uh, most importantly, I think it's trying to show, like, oh, Jason has consequences, and these are going to play out over time. And it isn't much, it isn't done particularly well, but it is something, and I have to give it points for that. Uh, there's some great kills in this movie, and some of them are shot in really interesting ways. Uh, there's two twins, and one of them is leaving the party and gets murdered. And the way they do it is they, they move the camera from focusing on her to focusing on the wall of the house. And then there's uh, lightning. And that projects the shadow of Jason attacking her. Which I thought was really interesting. There's some there's some cool shadow stuff uh, uh, with the movie projector. Uh, th there's some interesting kills in here. And, and stuff like that for a slasher movie is, um, you know, that's kind of next level for, for the genre, as opposed to just showing gore and stabbing and uh, 3D eyeball popping out stuff. Uh, anyway, it shows some effort. I appreciated that. And finally, uh, one of the best shots of the entire movie, I have to give props to this movie for this, because it made me laugh. It was so funny. Uh, Jason smashes through the front door of the Jarvis house, um, with no effort. I mean, it is a door made out of balsa wood, maybe. It's absolutely hollow. He smashes through it, and it is like one of the old Kool-Aid commercials, except it's a masked serial killer who rises from the dead. It's, oh, yeah, you know, smashing through. It is so funny because it is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> it's supposed to be scary, but it's just not. Um, uh, but it, it works in a different way. I, I loved it. Um, again, there's always moments that are supposed to be scary, that are supposed to be suspenseful in these movies that I just find funny and I don't care. I give them points for that. It's making me feel something. Um, and, and for a lot of the runtime of some of these movies, it's just boring. So when they can swing you one way or the other, you got to give it points for that. This movie's far from perfect. It's not great, but it's a lot like part two. The final chapter does some things really well, and it shows that even this far into the franchise, they are still putting some effort in. I think there's a new director on this one. I didn't look too deep into the IMDb. There's a new director, which may have helped uh, uh, bring some new life into this and put it in a new direction where they're developing characters a little bit more. Um... But yeah, I, I elevate this one up above three. Not quite as much as I enjoyed two, but it's still right up there. And it makes me wonder if the rest of the franchise is going to follow the trend 
of what people say the the Star Trek franchise is, where the even movies are the good ones and the odd movies are the trash ones. Um, that's uh, the, uh, that's more of a rule of thumb than anything because I maintain Search for Spock is a really solid Star Trek movie, but The Voyage Home is a uh, steam and pile. I don't I don't like that one. Either way, that's just my opinion. Uh, whatever the outcome of the next movie, I will be talking about it here. So make sure you check out the picture show with Austin and Phil Rude, the feed that you're on. That's where I'm dropping these mini episodes. Um, and I will talk about the fifth movie in this franchise next time on Phil Goes to Camp. Reporting from Camp Crystal Lake, located on the fraying edge of my sanity. This is Phil, and I will talk to you next time. Ch-ch-ch.